Last month in our current event series, we talked about the sensitive topic of politics. This month, we're gonna talk about a topic that's arguably even more sensitive, that of race and racism. Some people will probably watch this video and think this is something we shouldn't talk about, something about which the church should just be quiet. Others will watch this and probably think we should say more, that we should be even more outspoken. And frankly, I feel that pull in both directions as well because I love unity and I hate controversy. But the way to achieve real, lasting, true unity is not by avoiding difficult and uncomfortable conversations. The only way to have real unity is by shining the light of the gospel on this issue and on every issue. I think you're going to enjoy the conversation that I had with my friend Antoine Brown, who is the preacher for the Azalea Drive Church of Christ in Charleston, South Carolina. I hope that you enjoy this conversation. Okay, well, Brother Antoine, thank you so very much for being part of this conversation. This will be our first conversation on race and racism uh, for this series of lessons that we've been doing. And I can't think of anybody that I'd rather have this conversation with you than with you. Uh, so I really appreciate you being part of this. I appreciate you for having me, Wes, and thank you for the invitation. Prayerfully, we can say something to help uh, the listeners. Yeah, absolutely. I know that you and I both are are very uh, passionate about this subject and uh, shining light on, on this subject and talking about it and, and bringing the truth of the gospel to this conversation. And that's what we wanna focus on. And my first question, and I, I really, I, I don't know exactly how you're gonna answer this question, but I would, I'm, I'm sure. really curious to get your perspective because every time I've brought up this subject, and this is something that I've encouraged the church to talk about for a long time, long before it was, it was at the center of everybody's attention. But every time I've brought this up, the response is, and, and I've probably even responded this way myself, you know, with the idea that, well, there's, there's only one race, the human race, and so we need to stop talking about race. And, and so there's, there's sort of two sides of that, that, that question, I guess, um, whether or not the premise is true, um, and then also whether or not that premise should lead us to the, the idea that we shouldn't talk about race if there is really only one race, the human race. So what's your perspective on that? How do you respond to that? So uh, the premise is true. Uh, um, you know, I think most people understand, or, or maybe not, because I think it's coming into the idea now that, you know, races was a social construct. And the social construct of races was for the purpose of oppressing a certain people. Uh, so that's why the races were developed. Uh, and so the premise is true, there's only one race of people, the you know humanity, um, but that does not negate the ethnic part of me, my, 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 my ethnicity. Uh, because even you know coming from a place of faith, um, when, when, when we look at Moses, he married an Ethiopian. How often do we go to the book of Acts and we talk about the Ethiopian eunuch? Uh, and so, you know, heritage is, is always important. When you look at Israel, when you look at the Gentiles, heritage is always important. And so because, just because the races, white, black, those things are a social construct, don't allow that, don't let that allow you to miss my heritage because with my heritage comes my culture. And if you can understand my heritage, if you can understand my culture, we can better understand each other. 
but to not talk about the racial issue dismisses my heritage, dismisses my culture, and ultimately dismisses me. I think that is incredibly well said because I think that we have this this almost denial sometimes that that human beings are more than individuals. They they are individuals. We are every single one of us is an individual, and you have unique thoughts and perspectives that other people that share your ethnicity don't don't necessarily share. Same as as me. Um, and so right. we all have we're all individuals, but we're more than individuals, and we we also have ethnicity and we have culture. and And I'm I'm so glad that you pointed that out. And and that's even something I think you and I have even talked about when you did uh, the podcast with me one time. Um, what about that idea of of being colorblind? Um, I, it seems like maybe for a while that was uh, the emphasis that that everyone was encouraged to not see color, not see race, not right. see ethnicity, and and then maybe for a lot of us it felt like the goalposts kind of shifted, and it, all of a sudden we were told, well, no, don't don't be colorblind. That's not good, you know. So for a while that that was the goal, and now it seems like well maybe that's not the goal. So what's your perspective on that? Well, let, uh, let me go back, if you will. God had to have, have a, had a design if he put us in different skin tones. I, I, and, and if we don't recognize that us having these different skin tones was a God design, then we really kind of dismiss the purpose of God. So there was some purpose that God had in mind for the reason of putting us in different skin tones and putting us in these um, different, different ethnicities. And, and so I think when you label the idea of being colorblind, not only are you blind to me, and I'll talk about that in a moment, but you, you kind of, you're also kind of blind to the purpose of which God created us in these different, you know, color schemes, if you will. Um, but to be colorblind, again, it goes back to the same thing. When, when you are colorblind, you're blind to me. And I, I, I'll tell you this. There's this idea that justice is blind, right? but the people that exact justice are not. Mm. And if you are colorblind, then you'll, I'm, I'm trying to see how best to, to word this. If, if I'm colorblind to the fact that you are a white American and, and, and I don't want to see you as a white American, then the perspective I'll come from is the perspective of how I see myself. Mm. You, you understand what I'm saying? Right. And so, I will treat you how I believe, or at least I should treat you how I believe you want to be treated, or I will expect you to come to a standard that, that I have for myself, which may be unreasonable for you, you know, depending on a lot of other features and, uh, and a lot of other factors. But if you will see me as a black man in America, I, I, don't, I don't have a problem with people saying, hey, he's, uh, you know, a, a black army vet. He, he, he's a, he's a black gospel preacher. I don't, I don't have a problem with that because that a lot that to some degree helps me to, to know that you see me and you understand that I'm coming with a specific set of skills and heritage and cultures. Um, because a lot of times I believe what happens in a lot of our churches, and I think we're going to talk about this, but when we try to put the different cultures and ethnicities in um, the, the churches, one group will dominate the other and try to assimilate everybody to their frame of thought. And that can be dangerous because it, it, it makes people believe that when you become washed in the blood of Jesus, that somehow your blackness wears off 
but that's not true. Just because I'm covered in the blood of Jesus, I'm still a black person in America. And so just because my sins have been washed away, my skin has not been. That's, that's really good. And, and I really think that the goal, when I read the gospel, and especially when we read scripture as this, as the narrative that I believe that it is from the beginning in Genesis to the end in Revelation, the whole point seems to be the gathering of the nations. It seems to be the yes. gathering of these different ethnic peoples into the covenant family of God. And so that's what the church is supposed to be. And that's what the church is supposed to look like locally, nationally, globally, these different ethnicities coming together into the unified family of God and not denying our differences, but celebrating the fact that God is bringing people together into a multi-ethnic family. And, and I know that, that as you and I work in, in the church and both we, we, we see the church in, in the local context, but also in the national and global context, what do you see? Because I think there are, there's so many positive things and I don't want us to just dwell on the negative things, you know, but what are some of the, the positive and the negative things that you see as we try to live out this multi-ethnic family picture that God has for us? Well, firstly, and, 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 you know, I, I don't know who's listening to this, but my frame of reference is always going to be the word of God. So, so um, when, when you talk about that, and, and, and you really said it as you were talking, it takes us to the Great Commission. It takes us to our divine mandate. He says, go ye into all the world and make disciples of all nations. That word nations, ethnos, from which we get ethnicities. So we are to, um, you know, make disciples of everybody, not just the people that look like me, not just the people that look like you. We're to make, you know, disciples of all nations. And and one of the greatest epistles, you know, I love the, the epistle of Romans, but um, I, I think next to that would be the, the epistle to the church at Ephesus, because now he, he's got to take this mixed congregation and he's talking to them about all these great things that God has done for them uh, and Jesus has done for them in chapters one through three. And then he comes to chapter number four and he says, you all are to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. I know at one time there was a wall of enmity between you all. I knew, I know that you all were, you know, enemies, but now because of the saving work that Jesus Christ did on the cross, you all have been brought together and you all have to demonstrate to a world who's still fighting about, you know, are Gentiles better, are Jews better, are Christians better? You know, you have to show them that we can all come together because of the saving work that Christ did. Because I remember reading somewhere where he says the church is supposed to be the light of the world. And so we, uh, you know, in a time, and I talked about this yesterday, in a time when the world it's full of chaos and confusion. They're looking for a sense of peace. They're looking for a place of solace. They're looking for a place of refuge. They're looking for leadership. They're looking for leaders. And the, the church, which is supposed to be an embassy that's set in foreign territory, we should be opening our doors to everybody and saying, come here to find the thing that you're looking for. And I don't care if you're black, white, Hispanic, I want you to understand and know the peace of God because we're going to show the world how this thing is supposed to operate instead of 
the world demonstrating to the church how it's going to operate. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So what what advice would you give to brothers and sisters, regardless of ethnicity, um, in order to practically live live that out? You know, how do we how do we live that out? And what encouragement would you have um, for people to to move away from the chaos and the division that the world promotes maybe even, or, or definitely that we see in the world and move into the, the unity and harmony that we're supposed to be have in the church. And I, I think there's a lot of Christians that want that, but they don't even know where to start. So, so what advice would you have for, for people to, uh, to come together as in the skin we're in? Okay, so firstly, let me back up, Wes, because I did not answer your last question. What what are the positives? The positives is the positives are we still have an opportunity to get this right. The positives are that if we are in a church that is uh, multiracial, multiethnic, um, we have a chance to learn from each other. We really have a chance to appreciate each other. We really have a chance to demonstrate to the world that this is how this is supposed to operate. And so those, those are the positives. Um, and, um, and I think it, you know, those positives also are that we uh, get to live out the Great Commission in live action. We really get to show this is what this, this thing is all about. So those are the positives. Um, and, and the positives are our, our minds uh, if, if we're in that multi-ethnic, multi-racial congregation, our minds are open to learn more. We can't shut each other out. And so that, that was one of those. But I would also say on the converse, if your church is not multi-ethnic, if your church is not multi-racial, that's okay. You can be comfortable with that. You don't necessarily have to be, um, but be, be comfortable uh, in that, but also be open to at least collaborate with others, which leads me into your next question. What can we do? I think there's three things, and they're all in the Bible, right? Take the great commandment, love thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. And the second commandment is just like it, to love thy neighbor, right, as you love yourself. So we take the great, we take the great commandment, we add it to the great collaboration, John 17, that we all be one. And then we add that to the great commission to go and make disciples of all nations. And then we will come to this grand conclusion of a church that exemplifies what we'll look like when we all get to heaven. So my thing, so, so my advice is start with the great commandment. If you're not loving, learn to love. And, and this is the thing that I like about this whole love aspect. You can't escape it. I, I tell them, hey, listen, you've got to love your brother. Well, he's not my brother. Well, if he's your enemy, you still have to love your enemy. So you can't escape this love thing. So start at the root of this love. Do the great, com do the great commandment. And then be focused on taking that great commandment and move to the great collaboration. Because I, I, I am a person who knows that I don't want I don't want to not be the answer to Jesus's prayer because his prayer was that we would always all be one as he and his father are one. And so move from the great commandment, practice the great commandment at all times, attach it to the great collaboration, and then go out and do the great commission and bring everybody, white, black, brown, yeah, whatever, bring them into the kingdom of God. And let's show the world that this is what it looks like at the end of the day.
That's so good, brother. That's so good. Thank you so very much for making time oh, for this conversation. You. And thank you for what you're doing for the community uh, that you're in and for the kingdom of God throughout the world. So thank you, brother. Well, I, I, I must say thank you, Wes, and, and really for having the courage when really this is not, you know, even in this time, this is not popular to have, especially if you are a white American, um, a Christian white American, because evangelicals, you know, we have this idea. Uh, so thank you for having the courage to be able to have this conversation and continue to keep working. And uh, prayerfully, uh, we'll be able to bring it all together. And if not, we'll see you on the other side. God be blessed, my brother. Amen. Thank you, brother. As we said in the conversation, there really is only one race, the human race. But sometimes I wonder, do we know what it means to be human? We spent actually an entire quarter one time, maybe you were in our, our Being Human class, where we talked about what scripture says about being human. Sometimes I think that the way we think about humanity, the way we think about ourselves, is very different than the way the gospel calls us to think about ourselves and think about being human. So let's think about that before we go any further with this conversation. Let's think about what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be human? And in order to figure out what it means to be human, we have to go back to the beginning, back to creation. So when we look at the creation account in Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 5, here's what we read. Genesis 2, verses 5 through 7. When no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground, and a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground, then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature." I want us to think about that phrase and what happened. So God forms man, Adam. He forms this human from the dust and then he breathes into him the breath of life. And the text says that he becomes a living creature. And that word creature that our English translation says creature, the Hebrew word is nefesh. Nefesh. Now, most of the time that we read the word nefesh in the Hebrew Bible, in the Old Testament, we read it, it's translated as soul. In fact, some of your translations in Genesis 2 might say that the man became a living soul. And that's what the word nefesh means. It means soul. But sometimes when we think of a soul, we think of a disembodied spirit. That's not what the word soul means in the Bible. That's not what the, the writer of Genesis meant when he said nefesh. He didn't mean that this human had become a disembodied spirit. In fact, he became very much embodied. God had formed his mortal body from the dirt and breathed into him the breath of life and he became a living soul. He became a living nefesh. So according to scripture, your soul is your being. Your soul is your life. You are a soul. You are a soul. And your body is an incredibly important part of your soul. You might say it this way. You might say that the human body is the material aspect of your soul. I know that's not how we normally think of the word soul, but that's the way the Bible talks about soul that your body is the material aspect 
of your soul. It, the, the best way for us to think about it might be in the way that we talk about uh, planes and ships, and we say there were 37 souls on board, or there were 500 souls on board. We don't mean that there were 500 disembodied spirits. We mean that there were 500 living individuals, living beings. You are a living being. You are a soul. And your body, your material self, is an important aspect of your soul, of your being, of your life. And so here's where this applies to our conversation about race or ethnicity, is the fact that looking past the body, looking past a person's skin, looking past a person's material existence is not the gospel way of bringing unity. Let me say that again. Looking past someone's material existence is not the gospel way of bringing unity. Sometimes we say things like that, like, well, on the inside, we're all the same color. Well, you shouldn't have to look past the outside because God designed you to be an embodied being. He designed you to be who you are, to look how you look. And I shouldn't have to look past your body in order to love you. I shouldn't have to look past any part of you, any aspect of you, in order to appreciate you. I shouldn't have to be blind to our differences in order to appreciate you. I should appreciate the fact, just as Brother Antoine said, I should appreciate the fact that God made you different than he made me, and that's good, and it's wonderful, and it's not something that we should have to look past. So the gospel way of bringing unity it's not to encourage people to look past the body, to look past the flesh, to look past skin color. And sometimes I think we, we misquote or misuse or misunderstand what passages like 2 Corinthians 5 verse 16 mean. Look at 2 Corinthians 5 verse 16. He says this, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. So what does that mean to regard someone according to the flesh? Now, if you've read many of Paul's epistles, you probably know that he talks about the flesh all the time. Now, the way he contrasts that is with what? With the spirit, not my spirit or your spirit, but God's spirit. So the opposite of regarding someone according to the flesh is regarding someone according to the spirit. That the natural human way of regarding each other is a fleshly way of regarding each other. And Paul says, no more, no more do we regard each other or judge each other according to the fleshly way of doing so. Now we regard each other how? We regard each other according to the spirit, not according to the fleshly way of doing it. So that would mean, it doesn't mean you look past who they are. It doesn't mean you look past their ethnicity. It doesn't mean you look past their nationality. It doesn't mean you look past what they, they look like. It means that you don't judge people on their appearance. It, it, it means that you don't judge them by the wrong standards. You don't judge them by worldly standards. You don't regard them according to worldly, fleshly standards. I love, like the way the New, Trans, New Living Translation puts it. 2 Corinthians 5.16 in the New Living Translation says, So we have stopped 
evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view, how differently we know him now. That's what Paul is encouraging us to do. Don't regard each other from a human point of view. And again, that doesn't mean look past their body, look past their skin. We shouldn't have to be blind to who each other are in order to love each other. We shouldn't have to look past certain aspects of each other in order to appreciate each other and love each other. You should be able to love me for who I am. I should be able to love you for who you truly are, who God created you to be. But this passage does have an incredible bearing on this conversation. It it means that the world, the fleshly way of giving preference to each other or judging each other cannot be our standard. So we can't give preference to each other based on skin color. We can't give preference to each other based on wealth or clothing or level of education. And don't you know that in the first century world, there was a fleshly way of regarding each other. And they would regard each other differently based on, are you a Roman? Are you a Greek? Are you a Jew? Are you a slave? Are you a free man? Are you rich? Are you poor? Are you a man? Are you a woman? And Paul says, no more. We don't judge each other that way. We don't regard each other that way. We don't look at each other that way. We don't put people on a pedestal because of their status in the community. We don't put people on a pedestal because they're rich or because they're Jewish or because they're Roman or because they're Greek or because they're a free man. We don't judge each other according to the world's standards and we don't assume negative things about people because of the things that the world uses as a standard. And church, we would do well to listen to Paul, wouldn't we? We can't make negative assumptions about people based on their skin color, based on their race, based on their ethnicity, based on their education, based on their, their wealth, based on whatever. This is the fleshly way, the worldly way of regarding each other. But it doesn't mean we look past each other. In fact, it means we learn to appreciate each other. That's exactly what Paul tried to encourage throughout his entire ministry. If you're a, if you're a Greek, love your Jewish brothers and sisters. If you're Jewish, love your Gentile brothers and sisters. If you're a free man, love your, love your slave brothers and sisters. If you're a slave, love, love your free brothers and sisters. No matter what your status is, here, in the church amongst brothers and sisters in Christ, we don't regard each other the way the world regards each other. And and our world today is telling us to make all kinds of assumptions about people based on their race, based on their ethnicity, based on where they come from, based on whatever. And we have to embrace what Paul is laying out because it's just as relevant for the 21st century church as it was for the first century church. It doesn't mean we don't appreciate where people come from, but it does mean that we don't regard each other according to the flesh. We regard each other according to the spirit. What does that mean? What does that look like to regard each other according to the spirit? What would it look like if we truly regarded each other according to the spirit, not our spirit, not their spirit, not pretending that they're really just a a disembodied spirit that happens to be walking around in a body. That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is regarding each other 
with the Holy Spirit, according to the Holy Spirit, allowing the Spirit of God to give us new eyes for how we look at, how we treat, how we judge, how we treat one another. What would that look like? Well, let's keep reading the text. Look at verse 17. Paul says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So we regard our brothers and sisters in Christ as new creation. That means whatever we were before, whatever they were before, whatever our relationship was before, all things are being made new in Christ. And then verse 19 says, that is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What does it mean to regard each other according to the spirit rather than according to the flesh? It means that if someone is in Christ, that we see them the way God sees them as new creation, not a disembodied new creation, but a very much embodied new creation. That if you're in Christ, regardless of your nationality, regardless of your ethnicity, you and I are new creation. And that means there may be things in our past, in our cultural past, that we have to forgive each other over. Things that we have to say, you know what? The world would tell me I need to regard this person this way. I need to be mad at this person. I need to be angry at this person. I need to feel this way or that way about this person because of their nationality, because of their ethnicity. But in Christ, we say no more of that. No more of that. We don't regard each other according to the flesh. We regard each other according to the spirit. And that means if someone is in Christ, they're new creation. I'm new creation. We're all new creation in Christ Jesus. And it also means that we embrace this, this ministry. Paul calls it the ministry of reconciliation. Embrace the ministry of reconciliation. What does that mean? Paul says that God through Christ is reconciling the world to himself. The world. God is reconciling the world, the cosmos. All peoples, all nations, all ethnic groups, all tribes, all languages, God is reconciling everyone to himself. And Paul sees himself as an ambassador of that message, an ambassador of God, an ambassador of Christ Jesus, going into the world, pleading with the world to be reconciled to God through Jesus. And so everyone you meet, Everyone you meet is either new creation in Christ Jesus or someone you want to be new creation in Christ Jesus. Someone you want to be reconciled to God. And this is our ministry. This is our life. This is what the church is all about. This is what the gospel is all about, is reconciling the world to God. And that means if, if this is our ministry, if this is what we are here to do, is implore the world to be reconciled to God through Jesus, then we have to care about people. We have to care about the whole person. 
We have to care about the nations. We have to care about the tribes. We have to care about every single people group. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul said, when I'm, when I'm with the Jews, I'm like the Jews. And when, the, when I'm with Gentiles, I, I'm like a Gentile. i am become all things to all people so that by all means I might save some. Because Paul considered himself an ambassador whose job it was, was to plead with the world to be reconciled to God. And that meant Paul cared about the perception. Paul cared about the perspective of the Gentiles. He cared about the perspective of the Jews. He cared about their culture. He cared about their background. He cared about their history. He cared about their heritage. And church, if we're going to be people who regard each other according to the Spirit, then we have to love the whole person. We have to love them. We have to love their personality and we have to love them in their body. We have to love them as they are, no matter where a person comes from. They have a unique ethnicity, a unique nationality, a a unique perspective, a a unique history and a unique heritage. And embracing the ministry of reconciliation means that we love them and we care about them. We care about their history. We care about their heritage. We care about their perspective. We care about their joys. We care about their sorrows. We care about their burdens. This is what it is to regard each other according to the spirit. To say the world says we we ought to be enemies. The world says that that Romans and and these people ought to be enemies or that Greeks and and Jews ought to be enemies. But Paul says no more because we don't regard each other according to the flesh. We regard each other according to the spirit. And that's how we have to look at it. No matter what color your skin is, no matter what ethnicity you are, no matter what nationality you are, no matter what your background is, we have to learn to regard each other according to the spirit and look out at the world in all its beauty, in all its diversity and have to implore the world to be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. And we have to love our neighbor. We have to love their whole self. We have to love them with their history, with their heritage, with their perspective, with their background, with their burdens, with their joys, with their sorrows. Love the whole person and let's all be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ so that in Christ we can be a new creation. We have to stop regarding each other according to the flesh and regard each other according to the spirit by embracing the ministry of reconciliation. That's the way we swim against the currents.